Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and a delight to be with you today as we are going to take a look here at marketing insider information that attracts more passive investors than you will ever need. With us is Jason Wright, who is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, consultant, and digital marketing architect with a passion for helping real estate investors and entrepreneurs with our sales funnels. Jason prides himself on his ability to connect with people and speak to them in a language they understand. Jason is able to design successful marketing, automation machines, all while keeping a positive attitude and a sense of humor along the way. So Jason, share a memorable experience from your formative years that may have helped you to be who you are today. Interesting. So many options out there. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. Glad to be here. So here's an interesting one. Um, so the first time I quit corporate America to start my own business, I knew that I was ready to do something different, do something for myself. And I told my wife, I said, hey, we've got six months of savings in the bank. I'm going to recover my income in three months or less. To this day, no idea where I came up with that timeline. <laughs> but the hard truth is it didn't happen. We ran out of money in two months. Uh, I made no money at all. And we got ourselves in a horrific financial situation. Oh. And I remember thinking, hey, this is really weird. I had uh, friends and neighbors and even family almost rooting for my failure, which I thought was really odd. And I was yeah, like, well. what's going on here? So it, uh, it lit a fire in me. And I said to myself, I'm going to keep trying to build a business online until I either die or I do it successfully. There's another overnight success story that took a little over seven years, but it just made me uh, ferocious, man. It made me ferocious. It helped me redefine what I thought my limits were physically, mentally, financially. And it's just, uh, you know, now the way I approach things in life is if I set my mind to it, it's happening or I'm going to die trying, right? And I'm not talking about bungee jumping. I'm talking about, I may not wake up tomorrow and I can't do anything about that. But if I do, I'm going to be further tomorrow than I was today. So there's a little story that gives you a little piece of what makes me wired the way I am today. Yeah. Optimism is a great thing, isn't it? Until, oh, yeah. until it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can get us into trouble there. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and yes, I liked how you phrased that, a seven-year overnight success. I was listening to an interview once, and they were interviewing an author who had just published uh, a New York seller best uh, bestseller book. And the interviewer said, well, you're kind of an overnight success. And she replied, yes, but it was a very long night. <laughs> so, <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yes. Over, overnight successes. Just don't happen very often. Nope. Well, uh, Jason, I'm sure most people have a general idea as to what marketing is or isn't, but give us an insider's perspective on what marketing actually is. Yeah, uh, great question. Uh, marketing, in all of my observation, it's actually amazing. It's actually quite simple. What you're doing is building relationships and maintaining them. That's really what it is, right? So 
you bring people into your world through different ways. You have an opportunity, a great opportunity to start the relationship off the right way. And then any good relationship in your life that you care about requires maintenance as well. So it is a series of well-timed conversations, authentic conversations, and they can be, you know, on the phone, in person, uh, email, text, et cetera. There's a lot of different avenues these days, but it's essentially building relationships and maintaining them. Well, that makes it sound simple, but there are a lot of complexities uh, to marketing. Yep. So your suggestion is to start with the end in mind. And what do you mean by that? And what actually is the end that we yeah. should keep in mind? Yeah. So what you're referring to, um, when I talk about a sales funnel, I always talk about it in, in three pieces. And this order is what I try to do in order initially and what I see most people instinctively wanting to do. The first piece is what I call traffic, right? It's getting attention online and offline and directing it somewhere, generally a website or a landing page. The second piece is called the front end, and that's where they go. That's, you know, the landing pages, the websites, uh, that's where you drive your traffic. And then the final piece is the most important. It's the foundation. What happens after somebody joins an email list? It doesn't matter if they're a potential leader client or if they're an existing leader client. There still needs to be ongoing outreach after that point. So I'll tell you a quick story. I was in the same office I'm in right now several years ago, probably about five years ago, and my wife came in very frustrated, like they can do sometimes. And she said, you're working a full-time job, you're commuting two plus hours a day, and you're working on this quote unquote business full-time as well. And I was like, oh, she's like, where's the money in the business? Like, I'm not seeing anything. What, what are we doing? What are we working towards? Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I started to get defensive, but then I realized, I realized I couldn't answer the question. I was like, I don't know. Still trying to figure it out. So she made it very clear that, you know, if this isn't making money, it's just an expensive hobby. So I said, okay, I had to talk with myself. I said, how, how am I going to generate money from all my time? What am I doing? So I got very clear on that time at what my offer was, right? At that time, it was marketing services broadly for a wide audience, but it was, uh, a clear enough conversation that I, I knew who I was needed to target. Okay. Who am I targeting? What's the offer? What am I selling? And it was service. How do I communicate to these people in a way that's either going to attract them or repel them, create polarity? And then where do I go find them? So I started working on my own sales funnel, back end, front end, then traffic. I started having success. And then the more people I worked with, I was like, okay, you know, I'm seeing a kind of a niche within the niche so I can niche down a little bit. And then all the market becomes more specific because you, you learn more about your avatar. So then the piece where all businesses get to is they get to the point where their offer works well. They know exactly who they're targeting. You just need to get in front of more audiences that have those ideal people. So that's what I mean when I talk about working with the end in mind. And when I did that, like I said, I had more success. It became easier. And I wasted two and a half years focused on branding and logos and things that didn't actually matter. Well, that that's... A very uh, interesting and compelling story uh, because, well, here you are the marketing expert and you're not getting your message out there. And it took you two and a half years of struggle to actually get to that point where you were able to define your audience. And with defining your audience, then you were able to define your message much more precisely. Am I following you correctly? Is that really you are. what's going on there? Yep. 
And all of that, I mean, all of that sounds so simple. Well, this is, this is my audience and this is my message to my audience. And I think oftentimes we, we find out that, well, our, the audience isn't the audience we thought it was and the message is not resonating. Yeah. So how do we overcome? I mean, that's, uh, that's, I think a big obstacle for all of us. Yeah. Another thing I'll say about marketing in my experience, it's been more of a, it's more of a journey than a destination. So what I mean is the reason our offers are so dialed in and they convert so well now is because I've listened to the audience that I've built and people have said time and time again, we need help with this. Can you help us with this? Nobody's helping us with this. And if you listen to what your audience needs and you tweak the offer to give them exactly what you want, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It becomes, um, it becomes scary how well you can make things convert and scale that way. So a lot of times the audience that you start with, and the easiest thing to do, especially for like a capital raiser, as an example, so target a former version of yourself, right? If you're a, a doctor, target other doctors, teach them how to teach them how to invest like you've learned. For me, uh, if I have a coaching program I want to promote someday, I can target other people like Jason Wright from three years ago because I know what he or she is going to need because I've been there. So that's that that's always a good place to start if it makes sense for what you're doing. Target a former version of yourself. And then over time, based on conversations and feedback, you will have opportunities to niche down and pivot if you want to. So another key there is uh, don't be so married to your ideas with marketing that you're not scared to say, you know what, I thought this was the thing, but in fact, people really want this and they're willing to pay more and they want to buy now, like I need to do this because it makes more sense. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, that, uh, that makes sense there. And of course, <laughs> you know, uh, to look at, uh, at our former selves, that is going to take some time in, in the trenches. Um, and, uh, it's not going to be something that is necessarily going to happen overnight, which I suppose that is a discouraging message to some people. But like you started out uh, saying, uh, overnight successes just really are a phantom and an ima- a part of our imagination and not a reality there. Well, talk to us about uh, conversational copy versus corporate speak. Yep. So this is something I've always been big on. I spent seven years in corporate America, um, worked in HR and sales and safety and I've worked for some Fortune 50 companies. So when I say corporate speak, we all know what I'm talking about. They're really formal, buttoned up communications and that type of thing. And you know, the thing I the thing I always struggle with is like people don't really talk that way, right? The people, the executives, whatever, when they go home, they're just normal people like you and I. So just speak to people in the language as if they were your neighbor across the street. It's easier, it's more authentic, it's more enjoyable for them to consume, whether it's written or text or videos or audio or whatever, it just humanizes you, right? And people always say, man, there's nothing unique about my story. Well, you are the unique variable and your voice and your experiences are exactly what gives you that special sauce. So um, it's just, man, so much easier to, to, to create and consume. And if you, if you write the way you speak, uh, I get this all the time. I'll get on a call with somebody and say, man, you sound just like your emails or just like your texts or, man, you know, it's like, well, that's the point, you know, it's, that's the beauty of it. It, it kind of shortens that no like and trust curve or can. So. 
So that's, that is interesting. Just be ourselves essentially is what you're talking about. Speak like we normally would with, with a real, uh, intention to be authentic and, and genuine. Absolutely. Um, And, uh, got that. I mean, that just makes so much difference in all relationships. So it would, it would just logically follow that that's going to be the way it is going to be in our business relationships as well. But I think we, we often tend to think we have to be something else, uh, if we're going to be presenting our businesses. So good advice, good points there. And what do you mean by touch points uh, lead to conversations and, uh, and then conversations themselves lead to more conversations? What are the important touch points? Yeah, so a touch point is, is any contact you have. And, I, and I'm really talking about, um, it could be online or offline. So for example, if you and I meet at a conference and say hi and have that face-to-face, there's touch point number one, right? First interaction. Let's say you decide to book a call that day. You sign up and book a call with Calendly. You'll get an email confirmation from them. There's touch point two. Um, you'll get a text up from me that's automated. There's touch point three. So a lot of times I'm having three or four interactions with people through digital marketing automation before we even get on a Zoom call. And if I'm having a new business call, and somebody does not buy on the first call, which is fine. There is a 56-week nurture that uses email, two-way text, and even ringless voicemail to remind them that I exist. And I did an experiment this summer, and I said, you know what? I remember in corporate America, when I used to work at Angie's List, I think it's called Angie now, we had this manager that used to tell us, it's 15 touch points to make a sale. I was like, I'm not calling somebody 15 times. I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. We'll bug them, you know, we'll annoy them. So I was like, I wonder how many it takes me. So I guessed and I said, I bet it takes four to five. So I started watching it for the summer, the early part of the fall. And I found that it actually takes about 15 touch points to make a sale. By that point, if money is not an issue, people either say, yeah, I think what he sells can help me or no, it won't. So it's really interesting. And I started going, you know what, what's the worst that can happen if there's more, if there's more touch points? They're either going to buy or not buy. They're either going to stay subscribed or unsubscribe. But even though somebody unsubscribes, doesn't mean they don't like you. This is another thing. So um, I remember being so offended when certain people I talked to would unsubscribe from my newsletter. But then I'd see them in person and everything was fine. So sometimes people are just trying to trim down what hits the inbox because it's overwhelming for us all. So uh, that's what I mean by touch points. And the more touch points you get, it will lead to either new conversations or allow you to pick up the old conversation and conversations are what lead to conversions, whatever that means, a new investor, a new sale, a new coaching student, whatever the case may be. So 15 touch points, like you were thinking when you were with Angie's list, that that is overkill, that that's just uh, annoying people. And from a, a customer perspective, that does seem to me like very annoying um and yet you're saying that actually that does pan out to be true that it does take 15 touch points to make that sell so talk to us about that aspect of annoyance versus essentially maintaining that relationship 
So it's, it's interesting. So if, if you were the potential customer and I was me, if I was the only person emailing you or texting you on the planet, it would be annoying. The truth is I'm struggling to just stay on your radar because all of us get so many emails, notifications, people ringing the door, et cetera. There's so many things fighting for our attention a day. People may have good intentions and simply forget about you. Not because you're forgettable, because there's so much stuff coming <laughs> in all of us. So when you start to look at it going, oh, yeah, it's not, I'm not the one emailing them. There's hundreds of people emailing them a week. I'm just trying to stay up high enough in the inbox they remember I exist. So uh, I've had two people this calendar year, so 2022, two people say, man, you sent me a lot of communications. But you know what's funny? Both of them bought, and both of them are friends, and I've met both of them face-to-face, and I've eaten meals with both of them. So I asked him, I said, does it really matter now? Did I do any harm to you? They're like, no, I'm glad you did it. It's a very interesting mindset shift. Again, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. You know, when you start to think about it that way, you go, okay, if I'm scared of annoying people, I might not annoy anybody, but I also might make a lot less sales or I might convert a lot less investors. So really what's the risk? There's not really much risk that way. Well, have you ever done a study, kind of the reverse of that, uh, how many people are actually driven away by the 15 touch points? Um, I haven't, but our conversion rate's really, really high. So I do track conversions from the different points in our sales funnel. So um, we have a really, really good conversion rate, really good conversion rate. Uh, It's our second year in a row doubling revenue. So next year we're trying to three exit. Um, so we're just going to keep doing what's working. What we're doing is working better for us than it ever has. So I'm just going to focus on the positives, what's working and dump gas on that fire. Okay. Well, um, what are the, the biggest misconceptions and the biggest mistakes, uh, that capital raisers in particular make in their marketing campaigns? Yep. First one is when somebody joins your list nothing happens, right? So for capital raisers, I have this conversation every week. I probably had it 300 times this year. What happens after somebody joins your email list? More than half of the people I ask that question to say nothing. So if I don't have a deal, I don't know what to talk about. So I don't talk about anything at all. So then what happens is when they do have a deal or they do send out a newsletter in six months, those people on their list are going to go, I don't know who this company is. I don't know this guy. I don't know this girl. So I don't like to invest with people I don't know. I'm a limited partner in one deal. Uh, I got to know that person and got to see how they do business. And uh, they were a client of mine and there was a whole process to it, right? We did it the right way. I personally don't want to invest with somebody who I have no idea who they are, especially if I know I didn't opt into their list, which happens all the time. So there's one mistake. Uh, Another mistake is um, they ignore the power of the simple newsletter, right? Even if it's once a month, can you commit to 12 newsletters a year? It gives people a chance to remember you exist. You don't have to talk about deals or deal updates. You can talk about the market. You can talk about what you're doing in your business. I dare you to even be a little bit vulnerable and talk about your travels or things you're doing in your personal life and give your readers a chance to build that connection with you. So it's a simple way to keep making those valuable touch points. So there's another mistake. And I'll say the final one is I think some people want to rely on like paid traffic like way too soon, right? I always suggest set up an organic marketing strategy that works for you. When you find out what works really well and you want to scale, you always have the opportunity to 
Uh, you use paid ads to help scale that, assuming you're doing the right kind of deal and everything to do that, 506C. So um, as long as, as that makes sense, a lot of people want to jump into paid too soon, is my point. You can waste a lot of time and money doing that. Yeah, if um, yeah, I've been there, done that. Uh, and if you don't know your audience and you don't have your message, yep. uh, then uh, paid, uh, paid ads are, are just a waste of time. Uh, yep. Because they're falling on uh, going to the wrong places, wrong audiences, and the message is not going to hit home with anybody. Mm-hmm. So there's so there's the three things there that we as uh, capital raisers tend to do. Uh, we don't do anything when uh, people join our network. I'm guilty of that. Uh, we ignore the simple newsletter. I've done that, and rely on paid traffic too soon i've done all three of those is are there any other uh things that i should be looking for uh one thing a lot of people ask me about is they say hey what's the best place to find new passive investors and i talk to a lot of people so i always share these tips linkedin is probably still the king social channel in my opinion um getting on other people's podcasts like what i'm doing is a very low effort way for you as a guest to expose yourself, your brand, your story to new audiences. So I always encourage everybody, uh, if you have the opportunity to do that in front of a relevant audience, it's a great use of your time. It's a lot of fun. All you have to do is show up and be yourself and <laughs> the host will take care of the production and all that. So uh, those are some good traffic ideas. Um, if you have the bandwidth starting your own podcast is, of course, a great idea as well. Um, so th- those are all some really good things. People generally have a lot of questions about traffic. Uh, the final thing I'll share, so I don't overwhelm everybody, is when it comes to a lead magnet, so this is an exchange or an email or an email and phone number, I challenge you to go beyond the PDF download, right? Everybody in capital raising has an ebook or has a cheat sheet or something like that. I challenge you to use video as part of your lead magnet and say, you know what, instead of giving somebody $5 for the value for the email, why don't I give them $50 or $250 of perceived value? By saying, here's three short videos. I know what your questions are going to be. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the answers that I know you're thinking about because I know where your mind's at. Do that in a few videos, do something different and stand out and get those opt-ins. And you send those vid- those three videos in all at one time or you send them in a series so you have three different touch points? One a day for three days would be just fine. Through, so. Yeah, cool. Uh, good suggestions there. Yep. Well, Jason, tell us how we can get in touch with you to take advantage of your marketing consulting and and let us know what all you have to offer there. Yep. So my front porch is intentionallyinspirational.com. That's the name of the business. I do have a, a lead magnet that might be interesting to this audience. Uh, it is uh, You can get it from the website or you can go directly to getmorepassiveinvestors.com. And I teach you over a few days through email how to use lead ma- or how to use video to build better lead magnets and i also even show you how easy it is to build a landing page for your lead magnet as well i do all that with screen share video it's a lot of value for your name and your name phone number and email address so hope it helps you well that's wonderful well uh jason uh, in just the last few minutes we have here together share with us one of your most difficult setbacks and you may have already shared that but one of your most difficult setbacks in lives how did you uh, come through that time and what did you learn from that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think I hopefully have a great response for you. 
So mine's going to be a higher level in general, but I think it'll resonate with you and everybody else. Be patient, right? So I'm 41 years old, born in 1981, not a patient guy by nature, and younger people are even less patient, right? But I had all of these financial goals and all these accomplishments planned out in my business in timelines. And guess what? I've missed every one of them, right? So it can be very frustrating. It can be embarrassing, especially if you start telling people what you're going to do, it doesn't happen. Um, and you know what? It's, I started thinking about it this way. If you're a wine drinker, a cigar smoking or a smoker, a bourbon drinker, or you like scotch, none of those products are prime overnight. They take aging. It happens slow, right? So I started thinking about that going, my God, it actually makes sense. This is how it's supposed to happen. So my message is be patient. The best things come in time. And you're not going to want to hear that, but I see people try to fast track business all the time and they give up in three months or six months. Nothing good happens that fast, right? So there's my advice, my story, and I hope it helps somebody. Much appreciated, Jason. Very good advice. And thank you for sharing your life and your uh, experiences. And viewers and listeners, all of those contact informations will be in the show notes. Enlightened investors, thank you for being with us today. Look forward to being with you in our next episode. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.